and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before. And God will call the past into account. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together in your beautiful house of worship on this day. I just ask that you be with everyone here. May you open their hearts and minds to what is shared, and may my words be your words, Lord. We thank you for your blessings and for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So... When I was a little girl, I was obsessed with time and the future. I used to sit with my pencil in my hand and my journal, and I used to, used to try and predict like how old I would be at, during a certain year. So for example, I would say, in 1980, I would be this age, and by 1985, I would be this age. But not only that, but I would also plan out what I would have accomplished by then. And so as you can imagine, it might, be not, it might not be surprising that by the, by the time I was 10 years old, I had my entire life planned out. I was going to be a hairstylist or a flight attendant, and I was going to be married, and I was going to have four kids, and I was going to have this huge house with a wraparound porch um, on the beach and with the cutest dog on the block. And I was so certain that I was going to achieve all of this by the time I was 29 year, years old. And so you might be asking, 29? That's random. Well, because from the perspective of a 10-year-old, 30 is really old, and I knew for sure I'd be able to accomplish all of it by the time I was 30. 
Do you ever obsess about time? What you should be doing by when? Your goals? I remember back in the early 80s, there was this really famous rock and roll pop funk icon. You might have heard of him named Prince. I have a, a picture. In case, for those of you who weren't around back then, <clears throat> I'm aging myself a little bit. <laughs> but Prince released this song, 1999, in 1982, and it was a huge hit. It was on the Billboard Top 40 four times in three different, dec in three different decades. Twice in 1982, once in 1999, and then again after his passing. Now, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but when I was younger, in 1982, <laughs> I thought that that song sounded prophetic. Like, anyone remember it? I'm going to spare you. I'm not going to sing it to you. But the lyrics go like 2000 party, oops, out of time. So tonight we're going to party like it's. Oh, yeah, some of you have heard it. <laughs> So going into the year 2000, it was a huge deal. I mean, not only because of Prince, but because of Y2K. Y2K, I hear some yes, like, oh, I remember that. Y2K was the belief that all computers were going to crash when the calendar rolled over to the year 2000. And if the computers were going to crash, that meant that the, the whole world was going to crash. I mean, I remember people were like stocking up on like bottled water, battery operated lights, canned food. People were filling up their tanks at the gas station. They were going to ATM machines and were like getting as much cash as they could get out. I mean, people were even canceling their flights at that time because they literally thought that the planes were going to stop midair. Like it was insane. And if you remember Y2K, you'll also remember that it fell, December 31st, 1999, fell on a Friday. As Adventists, we've been told quite a few times all over the Bible and Scripture that no one knows the day or the hour of the second coming, not even the angels in heaven, not even the sun. But that doesn't stop us from trying to speculate. <clears throat> so in the end, spoiler alert, we're still here. <laughs> it, there was no collapse in the year 2000. But still, the not knowing was a big deal. Adventists have a thing about time, too. And my monitor just completely went out. <clears throat> this happened during the first service, and we got through it then, and we're going to get through it now, right? Amen? Amen. All right. Okay, it's an update. That's all right. And I promise you there's no crash happening right now. <laughs> so, as I was saying, Adventists have a thing about time, too. The seventh-day Sabbath, the second coming and life expectancy, to name a few, right? 
The Adventist Church for many years has promoted a health message consisting of five simple health behaviors that have been found to increase one's lifespan, what we've discovered, by 10 years. Does anyone even know what the average lifespan is? Take a guess. Oh, I think I might have heard it, I think. 79 years old. And so that means that if we practice these five simple behaviors, we could potentially live up to 89. <clears throat> so what are these life behaviors that we're talking about here that help you to live longer? Let's see. Come up with them on your, in your head, and let's see if they match up to my list. One, not smoking. Two, eating a plant-based diet. Three, maintaining a healthy body weight. Four, regular exercise. And can anyone guess what the fifth one is? Oh, sleep is a good one. It's not it, but it's a good one. Water's another one. Actually, eating nuts several times per week. Mmm, get your stash of nuts later today. I remember when I was in grad school and I was doing my pre-doctoral internship at the University of Illinois in Champaign, and I was uh, planning, I was getting together with one of my supervisors to discuss some cases, and, but we were running out of time, and, and, and so we said, well, just bring your lunch with you and we'll eat and, and discuss the cases at the same time. <clears throat> and so I went to his office and we started to engage in some small talk. And, um, and so he, he asked, oh, so what are you doing this weekend? And so I just said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to be getting together with some friends, my, my church community, I'm Adventist. And he kind of looked and he said, wait, isn't that the church, uh, the religion that's known for their health message? I was like, what? I was a bit surprised when he said that, um, but I have to say from that point on, I mean, I was so glad that he expressed curiosity and that he shared that with me because from that point on, we talked at length about life and health and spirituality, and I loved that he was so curious about this important aspect of my life. <clears throat> Adventists, they do live longer but not only because of what we eat or what we don't eat, but because we are part of a social network that reinforces healthy living, fellowship, community. And I'm so thankful to be a part of this church community here because it makes all the difference. You're helping me live longer. And not to mention, we have a kitchen downstairs that is being built and eventually we'll be able to feed the community again and share this beautiful message that we have. <clears throat> Time. In case you haven't scrolled through Instagram lately, it seems everyone is trying to look younger, look thinner, appear, like live longer. If we actually live longer, what are we supposed to do with that added time? 
I mean, I ask because no matter how much time we have, it always feels like it's not enough time. Do you ever feel like time is slipping through your fingers? Are you constantly racing up against the clock? Do you feel like the older you get, the faster time goes by? And you know, living in New York does not help my own personal preoccupation with time. I mean, everyone is always in a hurry. We're walking fast and talking fast and planning ahead. I remember when I was pregnant with uh, Isabella and I had gotten together with some other soon-to-be moms and, and we were all talking and one of the moms said, so what preschools are you considering applying to? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, and Isabella was still in my belly. Um, my reaction was one of confusion. And then I thought to myself, well, should I be thinking about preschool? And then we figured that out. And then there were questions about elementary school and then high school. And it just continues. You got to love New Yorkers, fast paced, goal oriented, and always ahead of the game. <laughs> That's right. Okay, time. You ever notice that when you visit the department stores or the drug stores in August, not too long ago, that the Halloween candy is already out, right? And then we're in October and I've already started to see the Christmas stuff coming out. And then when it's New Year's, the heart-shaped boxes are on the shelves for Valentine's Day. I mean, we live in a society of immediacy where everything moves at a dizzying pace. Sometimes I don't even feel like I've had the chance to catch my breath. <clears throat> and when I do, I'm constantly bombarded with messages that give me the impression that I'm behind or late or just not doing enough. And then when I do plan ahead and feel like I'm doing pretty good, I still feel a little anxious and still feel like, you know, is there something else I should be doing? <clears throat> Why is it that we get so preoccupied with time and then make judgments about ourselves based on how we've spent it? And when we feel we've slacked off or encountered too many barriers that have interfered with our goals, thank you, Danny. We feel, we begin to question ourselves and our purpose in this world. Eric Erikson was a German psychologist who theorized that there is a specific psych psychological struggle that takes place through eight stages of a person's life. I have an image of, up here to show you a little bit about this theory. These struggles, he believed, contribute to your personality development. So as you could see here, struggle for, during infancy is that of trust or mistrust, 18 months to three years, autonomy shame versus shame and doubt. <clears throat> and so the, the different stages are infancy, toddler, preschool, school age, adolescence, young adult, middle age, older adulthood. And Erickson believed that each, of the that each of the struggles or crises that occur at each stage is a building block that's crucial to maturation across the span of your life. 
The basic virtues, the last column, as you can see here, hope, will, purpose, right? They are characteristic strengths which the ego can use to resolve subsequent crises. So failure to successfully complete a stage can have significant negative consequences on one's emotional well-being. <clears throat> when I think back when I, to, when I was 10 years old and predicting and planning out my entire life, Erickson would have said that I was in the early school years stage. And that centers around feelings of industry, and you could keep that up, Levi. Feelings of industry and an inferiority, you could see here, ages 5 to 13. And it is during this stage that children start to become aware of their individuality. They seek accomplishments and praise and support from those around them. If their teachers and caregivers and peers offer support, they feel a sense of competence and, and uh, feel productive. If they don't receive this praise, they, meet, they might feel inferior or incompetent. And so, um, and then those feelings of incompetence then might persist for the rest of their lives. Does that make sense? Yeah. So our perception of ourselves and the world might be influenced in part by what I like to call unmet needs. Erickson calls them unresolved crises. Many of us, whether we recognize it or not, conscious or unconscious, are driven by unmet needs. And our perception of time in our daily lives, how we use it, what we've accomplished, the meaning we make from our day-to-day -day living is often used to measure our self-worth. Even the wisest and most accomplished among us question their purpose at some point in their lives. So what takes up most of your time? So anyway, Solomon. Son of David and the third king over Israel was known to be a man especially gifted by God with understanding and wisdom, which, by the way, is the final virtue in Erickson's theory. Solomon wrote much of the book of Proverbs, the son of Solomon, the book of Ecclesiastes, and two Psalms. And it was believed that the book of Ecclesiastes was written late in his life, uh, following an eventful 40-year reign. Solomon, he did many great things, such as building the temple of God in Jerusalem, but he also succumbed to many temptations. His curious mind led him to turn to worldly pleasures, and not surprisingly, once he stopped pursuing God with intention, everything he did would become meaningless. And the lack of purpose he experienced when he did not prioritize his relationship with God is what might have led, to him, led him to an experience that we know as an, an existential crisis. An existential crisis 
by definition, refers to a whole host of emotions and feelings and questions that, we might be, that might be coming up for us about the meaning of and purpose of life. There are the ones that, you know, the ones that really tug at your heart, the ones that keep you up at night, the ones that, uh, you know, that, you're, that, that cut to your core. Some examples of these types of questions include, what's your purpose in life? Do you believe in fate? If fate exists, do we have free will? What is true love? What existed before the world was created? Where did we go when we die? These questions are not easy to find the answers to. <clears throat> and can leave us feeling really stuck. Sometimes we feel unsure of how to even respond to these kinds of questions or how to even think about them. And it could even impact our lives in a real negative way if these feelings persist and even worsen. And often an existential crisis occurs irrespective of gender, sexual orientation, like socioeconomic, irrespective of all of that. People experience existential crises when something really, a, a traumatic, life-threatening, uh, or, you know, traumatic experience occurs. And, and that could be anything from losing the loved one to finding, about, finding out about uh, a life-threatening illness or job loss or when one retires or, or, you know, when they get married or divorced or have children. <clears throat> and just many different traumatic, life-changing events. Now, have you ever been on the search for meaning and purpose in your life? Have there been times when you felt like you were spinning your wheels or feeling stuck? Or were feeling like you were running out of time? It's important to keep in mind, though, that having an, ex an existential crisis is not always bad. It can be a real opportunity for, to ask yourself some important questions, to really get, in back, to get back in touch with what's important, and to, to find out what's going on in your heart. For years, Solomon sought purpose in his life through pleasure-seeking and through his accomplishments. But even he was feeling stuck. But in chapter 3, something happens. Solomon takes a turn toward insight and understanding. It's like if he had one of those, like, aha moments. In chapter 3, verse 1, Solomon writes, to everything there is a season, emphasizing that all emotions and actions, both negative and positive, have meaning. And it's interesting that each of the pairs in Ecclesiastes 3 make up like a larger whole. For example, have you ever noticed that in verse 2, birth and death together comprise the whole human existence? In verse 3, weeping and laughing summarize the full range of emotions that all of us experience. There are 14, in, 14 pairs in total, and they can all be interpreted as all of the experiences that could confront humankind over the lifespan. 
Solomon recognized that worldly things offer immediate gratification, they do, but are mostly short-lived. God sent blessings take time, but are all a part of God's intricate plan. Solomon returns to observing the seasons of life through faith, and he recognized that his purpose was embedded within God's purpose. And while we may not always understand why things happen the way they do, Solomon's use of the phrase under heaven instead of under the sun is suggestive of divine perspective. In other words, a characteristic for living by faith is recognizing that there will be many things we don't understand and have no control over. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9 tells us, and you might recognize it, it's one, that for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our brains cannot even try to comprehend all of the reasons for everything God brings about or allows to happen in our lives. Ecclesiastes 3.14 reads, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. No one can fathom. I know we try to figure everything out all on our own, and we might sometimes even say, Lord, I got this one. But the truth is, is that we might think we've got it all under control until we don't. Solomon thought he knew everything until it was clear he didn't. We don't have the broad overview God does. Seeing how everything might be connected, it's not possible for us to see or understand all of his intentions in any given circumstance. You might find yourself, right, day to day, I mean, it seems like something every day is popping up on the news. It's hard to, like, take it all in. And as humans, we just don't have the capacity to understand it all. So right now, you might be saying, okay, Annette, we get it. We have no control, and everything that is happening in the world is beyond our comprehension. And yes, we should be living by faith. But how do we do that when we're feeling discouraged or tired or restless and at times even feeling a sense of despair? The decision to trust God is a daily one. If you've been waiting your whole lifetime for answers, it may just be that God is moving in other areas to prepare a way for you. Philippians 4, 6-7, one of my favorite verses. We've all, a lot, many have heard of this one. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I believe these verses in the Bible are there because God knows that it's our very nature to be anxious, to be stressed, 
to be to second guess ourselves to be to forget to be thankful or sometimes we're negative or cynical or we'll do anything to guard our hearts from pain or love or forgiveness accepting that we are not in control is actually meant to bring peace of mind instead of saying okay lord i've got this maybe we can afford to say lord i know you've got this a lot more practice self-compassion pay attention to how you treat yourself and how you speak to yourself daily are you kind and compassionate or hard and judgmental if you were to speak to a dear friend the way you speak to yourself daily how would they feel there's comfort in self-care in letting go in slowing down not looking at the clock and acknowledging who is in control because when we engage in self-compassion and are intentional about taking care of ourselves our stress hormones decrease and when they are lower we are likely to be more open and more optimistic and more hopeful and when we are more hopeful we are in a better mindset to be able to handle uncertainty in a better position to handle the hard stuff <clears throat> to treat the importance of treating ourselves with love in the way that God loves us because each of us are worthy in his eyes perhaps every day in the upcoming week you can do something kind for yourself as a way of acknowledging just how hard it is to live in this world and to wait while we experience these different seasons like on Sunday considering squeezing in some time to go for a walk to take in the sights and sounds of God's creations on Monday don't text but maybe call that friend you've been thinking about and let her know how much you you miss her on Wednesday try a new recipe but then on Thursday share that recipe with a friend and on Friday focus on gratitude whatever it is that you choose be intentional about it because when you're intentional about self-care you allow positivity in but every day pray and pray some more and pray for patience and for fortitude consider praying for your heart to be open to the work that God's doing as much as we may want to move forward forward with something in our lives sometimes we're just not ready for it we have much to learn or more to change or more to grow Solomon contended that God's ordering of circumstances even the negative ones leads to a beautiful work in the end Solomon demonstrated that even the wisest among us can get distracted and lose what's lose sight of what's most important ask God for insight and clarity as you personally go through the seasons that change I know that sometimes there's a lot more weeping than there is laughing a lot more mourning than there is dancing and a lot more war than peace 
But if we can accept our lives as the ultimate work of God, aiming toward a meaningful and beautiful result, even the difficult parts will be bearable. Last month, Queen Elizabeth II of Britain, I have a picture of her right here. This was a, a, she was the the world's longest serving monarch. This is the last portrait that was taken before she died at the age of 96 years old. According to Erickson, she was in the last stage of development where the psychosocial crisis is that of integrity versus despair. Integrity represents feelings associated with peace about your life. Despair is just that. When an individual is filled with regret over the choices made throughout your life, but then sadness about the little time that you have left. Prior to her death, the queen eloquently stated, none of us can slow the passage of time. And while we often focus on all that has changed in the intervening years, much remains unchanged, including the gospel of Christ and his teachings. It's my impression, based on this comment, that she was wise and felt a great sense of peace in the knowledge that she possessed about the gospel. That despite all of the changes and seasons she experienced, she had faith in God's promises. So in closing, how will you make sense of the seasons of your life moving forward? What can you hand over to God? How will you reflect on the time you have? It's my prayer that we approach the seasons of change and the time we have in our lives like God's got it all under control. Praise God for his perfect order of things, for the changing seasons, for giving us the time that we need to prepare for his soon return, and for his everlasting love. Amen. Amen.